0: And now open your Bibles to our sermon text, Revelation chapter 6. We'll be reading the whole chapter together. Revelation chapter 6. Beloved, this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Please give it your full attention. Now I watched... When the lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come. And I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, and with famine, and with pestilence, and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest A little longer until the number of their their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. When he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The full moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. I have made the case at times throughout this series that God, the triune God, is what is central in this book. In fact, this was made certain to us back in chapters 4 and 5. In those chapters, John saw a vision of God, the Father, seated on His throne in all His beauty and majesty, and around the throne were were, were many celestial beings worshiping Him. And then in chapter 5, we have God the Son, who approaches the right hand of the Father, And those same celestial beings then begin to sing hymns of praise and worship to Him as He takes the scroll from the right hand of the Father. In both chapters, chapters 4 and 5, God the Spirit is pictured as seven torches of fire, chapter 4, and as the seven eyes of God possessed by the Lamb, chapter 5. And as the seven torches of fire, the Spirit is the flame that empowers the church to shine brightly in the darkness of this present world. And as the seven eyes of God, the Spirit is the all-seeing power of the Lamb that empowers Him to rule over all of creation. You see, beloved... The book of Revelation is centrally focused upon God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This book is about Him and His power and His beauty and His sovereignty over all of creation and the history that proceeds for it. Now we are about to get into all the prophetic events the prophecies that John was given concerning the things that were going to be fulfilled, both in his time and all the way up to the end of time. But what we cannot do is lose sight of God in all of this. The triune God, the one who is sovereignly ruling over all of these events. God the Father is seated on his throne and the Son is seated at his right hand with the power of the Holy Spirit whom he has poured out upon his church. And therefore, we the church, we should not fear what will take place here on earth, whether war or famine or pestilence or even death itself. Rather, we should remain faithful, bearing witness to Christ and his gospel. He is our priest king, seated at the right hand of the Father. Our great high priest in heaven. And so he tends to his church and provides mercy and grace in times of need. That's what he does as our great high priest. And as our mighty king, he rules over all of creation and brings it to its predetermined end. And this must be our focus, not only as we continue through this series here in the book of Revelation, but it must be our focus in our daily lives, no matter what is going on around us in the world. These truths, you see, will aid us in being faithful witnesses to Christ and his gospel in all circumstances of life. And so let's look at our text this morning. Here in chapter 6, Christ begins to open the seven-sealed scroll. We are told in the previous chapter that only he was worthy to open the scroll because he had conquered as the lion and the lamb. Having died as a slain lamb, he devoured death like a mighty lion. In other words, by dying, he defeated death. And the one who had the power over death, namely the devil. Well, in our present chapter, Christ is now going to begin... Opening this scroll. Now please keep in mind that the scroll, as we learned in our previous two sermons, the scroll is the plan of God to bring the kingdom of Christ to its consummation. To its completion, to its consummation. Christ's kingdom was commenced when he ascended into heaven. And it will be consummated once the events contained in the scroll have run their course. That's what we will see take place in chapters 6 and 7. As Christ breaks the seven seals on the scroll. Now, we have already seen the commencement and the consummation of Christ's kingdom in chapter 5. You remember, it discussed... Through those worship hymns, it discussed the commencement of his kingdom. Its beginning when he ascended into heaven. And then at the end of the chapter, we saw its consummation. When every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea were all worshiping before the Lord. So there we saw the commencement and the consummation of Christ's kingdom already in chapter 5. Well, chapter 6 and 7 are telling the same story of the commencement and consummation of Christ's kingdom. What changes between chapter 5 and 6 and 7, in other words, the difference between those two places of telling the story is that in chapter 5, the history of Christ's kingdom is being told from a heavenly perspective, describing those worship services in heaven. But in chapter 6, it begins to be told from an earthly perspective. In other words, what we find now in chapters 6 and 7 is the commencement and consummation of Christ's kingdom as it unfolds here on earth. That's what we're going to begin To observe now, beginning in chapter 6. Okay, so in this 6th chapter, John notes that he saw the Lamb open the first of the seven seals that were sealing the scroll shut. As Christ, the Lamb, breaks each seal, more and more of the scroll's contents are disclosed. And immediately upon them being broken, those seals being broken, they begin to be executed by the authority of Christ. Now, the first four seals are uniquely related to each other. And our focus is going to primarily be on them this morning. We'll follow up on the fifth and the sixth seal of chapter 6. In a future sermon, Lord helping us. But these first four seals belong together and are popularly known as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And so each of the first four seals unleashes one of these horsemen or riders. The first horseman brings with him conquest. The second horseman brings war. The third, famine. And the fourth, death and so in each of the first four seals christ breaks open the seal that's how it begins he breaks open the seal which then prompts one of the four living creatures to call forth one of the horsemen each of whom unleashes destructive events upon the world now what's the purpose of all that why why does all of this occur The purpose of these destructive events, and this is important to get, the purpose of these destructive events that are being unleashed by the four horsemen is twofold. The purpose is twofold. First, they are judgments that punish unbelievers. They are preliminary punishments upon unbelievers but at the same time they purify the saints they're a means of purification for the saints the same four judgments were brought upon Israel and upon the nations in Ezekiel chapter 14 which we read earlier in the service And at that time, they punished all those, whether Jew or Gentile, who were guilty of idolatry. In other words, unbelievers, right? Those who worshiped idols. They brought punishments upon those who were guilty of idolatry, while at the same time purifying the righteous remnant of Israel, the people of God. And so they punish unbelievers, but purify the saints, now, the ultimate punishment and the ultimate purification will come when? At the return of Christ, at the judgment seat of God on the day of judgment. But these are preliminary punishments and preliminary purifications. And so let's take a look at each of the four horsemen. The first horseman rode on a white horse and had a bow and A crown, one crown was given to him. A crown which stands for authority, for kingship, for ruling. And he came out conquering and to conquer, it says. In other words, he came out seeking to have dominion. Seeking to have dominion over the world. Now this writer, this first writer, represents the many false Christs or anti-Christ figures who will seek to conquer, who will seek to have dominion. And let me give you two things that are in support of this. One from the book of Revelation and another from the book of Matthew chapter 24. From Revelation, we already know that Satan, in many ways, has tried to counterfeit the true and living God. And that's what we have here. So this first writer resembles Christ as he is represented in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 and following. Because there in chapter 19, Christ rides a white horse, and on his head are many diadems or crowns. And so the first rider resembles Christ as a false Christ, but he is clearly not Christ, because he only has one crown, whereas Christ has many crowns. He is a king, but he is not the king of kings, as Christ is. So there's one thing that is in support of the first horse representing the many false Christ. Secondly, Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 what the end times Will be like as they await his return. And as he describes this, he basically summarizes everything that is symbolized by the four horsemen. And so we'll come back to Matthew chapter 24 as we look at each of these horsemen. But as regards the first rider or the first horseman who represents conquest by false messiahs, Jesus says in Matthew 24, Verse 5, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Okay, so this first rider represents the many antichrists who seek to lead people astray and to conquer. This is another example of Satan and his forces counterfeiting what is true. Now, the second horseman or rider came out on a red horse and was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people would slay each other. And rather than a crown, this one is given a sword, a sword, which represents war. Again, Jesus predicted wars that would come throughout this age, Directly after he speaks of the false Christ that will come in his name, he says in Matthew 24, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And so the rider on the red horse represents war that will take place throughout this age before the end, thus taking away peace from the earth. Now, the next rider comes out on a black horse, and he had a pair of scales in his hand. Scales that would measure things like grain were used in the ancient world to symbolize a time of famine. They were often used in time of famine. It would symbolize uh, the time of famine that was occurring. And sometimes famine, as you well know, comes as simply a result of the weather, like during times of drought. But famine can also follow after times of war. And so this rider follows along fittingly after the first two. After conquest and war comes famine, as well as inflation, which we find also with this horseman. You see, war itself will often cause inflation, But certainly in times of famine, you'll also find inflation. In fact, what becomes evident is that the scales which measure the grain do not measure them at normal wages. We uh, read on this horseman that a voice comes forth from the midst of the four living creatures and says, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Now, a denarius was a day's wage at that time. And historically, we know that a quart of wheat was one day's supply for a military soldier. And what this means is that a person's daily food at this time would cost them everything they earned for that day. All of the money they earned went to food alone. Now, normally, a quart of wheat was one-eighth of a denarius. And so we see here the inflation is around 800%. And the last thing that we read about this third rider is that the oil and wine were not to be affected. Which basically means that there will be limits to this judgment of famine. In other words, it will be a partial and not a totalizing judgment. Okay, the fourth and final rider who comes out after the fourth seal is broken is said to be riding on a pale horse, or more literally, a green horse. And the reason is because it represents death, and therefore the rotting away of the body as it turns pale, As it even turns green after death. And so the rider's name is Death, and Hades, which is the realm of the dead, follows this rider. It follows after him. Now, naturally, death follows after conquest, war, and famine. Specifically, it says that the rider brings death by sword, famine, Plague, or it could also be translated pestilence, which really has the meaning of of disease and epidemic disease. And then finally, also by wild beasts. But again, we learned from this fourth horseman that there is a limit to the judgment for only a fourth of the earth is to be affected. You see, all of these... Judgments, all of these punishments, so to speak, are partial. They do not themselves bring the end. I told you that Jesus spoke in Matthew 24 of basically, for the most part, everything that these four horsemen represent. And I already quoted him concerning both false messiahs and with respect to wars, rumors of wars. And concerning those, he says, but the end is not yet. You see, it's partial. These judgments are partial. They do not themselves bring the end. But he goes on to summarize this period of time in verse 8, stating, For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, there will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains, he says. So you can see that what Jesus prophesies about in Matthew 24 is precisely what begins to take place when these seals are broken on the scroll. And we ought to ask ourselves, well, when did that begin? When did he begin to break those seals? Well, when Jesus ascended into heaven is when he took the scroll from the right hand of the Father and began to break open the seals on this scroll. And so the four horsemen, which come out riding after the first four seals are broken, all begin to occur after the ascension of Christ. And they continue on throughout this whole time period, which Jesus calls a time of birth pains. The birth pains mean that the time is near, but it's not yet at hand. The end is not yet at hand. It's not the end itself, in other words. Just as a woman who begins to have birth pains is near to giving birth, but the birth pains are not the birth itself. Beloved, all these signs symbolized by the four horsemen have been taking place since the first century and have continued on until now. But what did Jesus say about these signs? He says that they will take place, but the end is not yet. And so these events have all been occurring since Jesus ascended into heaven. Now, as we think about some of these things, we we tend to think of the description of these punishments as being something that occurs only at the end, only right before the Lord returns. For example, we tend to think that there will only be one Antichrist who comes right before Jesus returns. But the Apostle John himself, the one who writes down for us the words of this revelation, the words of this book. He says in his first epistle, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. And so there were Antichrists already In John's day. And there have been many other false Christs who have come along throughout church history. There will be others who come along until the final one comes just before the end. Since John's day, the world has also seen wars and rumors of wars. It has seen sword, famine, inflation, pestilence, epidemics, and wild beasts all resulting in death. These are but birth pains, and they run throughout this whole age. Now, to what age am I referring? Well, I'm referring to the age of the tribulation, which began with the ascension of Christ and which will continue until he returns. And that's why the very next verse of Matthew 24, Jesus says, Then they will deliver you up to what? To tribulation. See, the time of birth pains is the time of tribulation. This whole age between the two comings of Christ is the tribulation. It was not merely some time in the past as some theologians would like to have it, nor will it be sometime only off in the future, as other theologians would like to have it. The tribulation spans this whole age between the first and second coming of Christ. Now, the tribulation will get worse just before the end. Revelation will make that most clear. The pain, you see, while giving birth is actually worse than the birth pains or or the cramps that come before it. Jesus notes down in Matthew 24, 21 that things will get worse right at the end. He says, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And so Jesus says that just before the end, there will not be just tribulation. There will be great tribulation. And then down in verses 29 and 30 of Matthew 24, he says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. And the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. You see, at the end of that time of tribulation, especially the great tribulation, at the end of that time, then all these signs will appear and will come from heaven. On the clouds of heaven, the Son of Man, for his great day of judgment. Beloved, this is precisely what we find as Jesus opens the remaining seals on the scroll. We will look at these more in depth next Lord's Day. But for now, I will just point out that with the fifth seal, when the fifth seal is opened, John sees the souls of those who have been slain for the word of God and or the witness they had borne, and they are told in verse 11 to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And so, this fifth seal shows that more are to lose their lives throughout this age of tribulation. In fact, there is a totality, a completeness to the number of those who are to lose their lives, and once it is complete, then the end will come, just as Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 24, that the gospel will what? Go into all the world, and then the end will come, right? When the last of those who are to be Christ's have heard and believed, when the completeness of God's people has come, then the end will be forthcoming, Now, notice how similar the sixth seal is to what Jesus says in Matthew 24 in those verses we read, verses 29 and 30. When he speaks about his coming, the coming of the Son of Man, and those signs that will be present. Listen to the sixth seal. As we read in Revelation six, when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. That's what Jesus said very similarly in Matthew 24. It goes on, verse 14, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? That is judgment day. And it will occur at the coming. Of the son of man upon the clouds of heaven. But leading up to that day my friends. Is the tribulation. That is what. The seven churches were called to endure and to overcome the tribulation. It is what the book of Revelation is calling us to endure and to overcome. Remember, the seven churches symbolize the universal church, the whole church, the complete church that exists throughout this age. Beloved, we are in the tribulation And we are called to overcome. This tribulation, represented by the four horsemen of the apocalypse, are judgments that are preliminary punishments meant for unbelievers, but they are also a means of purification for those who are believers in Christ. Beloved, the tribulation. All the sufferings, all the persecutions, all the seductions and temptations, and all the trials which we endure are meant for our purification. Just as gold refined by fire, removing all of the dross, so is the tribulation. A process of refinement meant to remove the impurities of sin from us. This process will not be complete, of course, until we either die and our souls go on to be with the Lord. Or until Christ returns. Whichever occurs first. And it is so important to view our trials, whatever they be... To view them in this manner, as a means of our purification in Christ. And this is why we read in the New Testament of the disciples always rejoicing at sufferings and trials. We are told that they would rejoice because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And so when we face sufferings and face trials of many kinds, first we must recognize that Christ is sovereign over this age of tribulation. All of the four horsemen came out by His authority opening the scroll. No matter how Political governments may persecute us Christians throughout the world. No matter what antichrist movements may slander and seek to conquer the church, no matter what disease or pandemic may strike us, we have hope only in Jesus Christ. And so put not your hope in princes or governments. Nor any earthly military. Put your hope not in science. Nor any social organization or movement. God is sovereign over this world. And is ruling over it through his son by the spirit. He is ruling over it through his son. Our king the Lord Jesus Christ who is seated at his right hand. By suffering unto death, He redeemed us from our sin and is now purifying us through the tribulation. And so as we suffer, we must first recognize that Christ is sovereignly orchestrating the tribulation. Second, We must recognize that the purpose of the tribulation for the church is to purify her. When we face suffering, then we must ask how can we grow and mature through those sufferings in Christ? We must ask how the dross of sin can be removed more and more so that morally... We might become more and more pure like gold refined by fire. That's how we are to view our sufferings in the tribulation. And this, beloved, will lead us to be more and more obedient to the Lord. In other words, it will lead us to be faithful witnesses to the Lord. And finally, as we suffer... We must also rejoice, something that's often lost in our sufferings. We must rejoice, giving glory to God that we have been considered worthy to suffer as Christians in his name. For unto him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Our great God, we thank you for Christ ruling at your right hand over all things to the church and for his purifying us through this tribulation. We're thankful that his spirit is at work in us so that as we face these trials and these temptations and, and all, Lord, that comes forth for us in this tribulation, the Spirit is working in us that our faith might shine in the midst of a dark and crooked and perverse generation. And so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit might sanctify us more and more, that we might point others to the only hope, which is Jesus Christ, so that His elect from many nations might repent of their sins and turn to Him. We pray this in His most holy name. Amen.